You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. My name is John Cut, and I'm going to be your host today. Um, it's only going to be a solo pod today. Lee is unavailable, unfortunately, but we've got a full episode for you today. We're going to be interviewing PitcherList Director of Data Analytics and Research, Kyle Bland, and talking about the new PLB metric that he introduced at PitchCon, Mistake Rate, as well as talking about the transactions that took place in baseball since our last podcast. But before we get into it, just want to give you a quick breakdown of all the things happening on PitchList and in the baseball world. If you've been checking the site, you'll know that we just launched PLX, which includes rankings for the top 400 starting pitchers from Nick Pollock, the top 300 hitters from Scott Chu, and the top 50 closers and top 100 relievers for saves plus holes leagues from Rick Graham. A lot of stuff there. Uh, definitely so much to check about on the site. Um, we've got plenty covering pitchers and hitters to target if you're looking for some specific uh, targets in your drafts, as well as plenty of Dynasty content as well. In addition, if you have access with PL Pro, you'll have our updated 2024 player projections, the live draft assistant tool, plus a ton more stuff. So definitely go check that out if you want some extra help in your upcoming drafts. Plus, uh, if you want to follow the pod, you can follow us on Twitter at ThisWeekPL, and you could send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to. We're on all of them, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and leave a five-star review if you enjoy the show. All right, moving on to the transactions from the last two weeks of baseball. This isn't all of them, but just a few notable ones that might impact your fantasy team. Uh, Ross Stripling was traded from the Giants to Oakland, joining his former and now current teammate Alex Wood and making the trek across the bay. He slots in as the SP4, according to Roster Resource. Now, granted, that team isn't super hot. Um, Roster Resource currently has J.P. Sears as their uh, their top ace, I guess you could call him, of, of the of the team. Uh, it isn't really a roster that uh, strikes uh, strikes me as interesting. That being said, though, um, it's the A's, so they might not really even try to compete. But they are filling out their roster. Gregory Santos was traded from the White Sox to Seattle, showing up their bullpen behind Andres Munoz and Matt Brash. They'll kind of slot in as the second setup uh, reliever on that team. Uh, so it might be a good option for holds uh, if you're looking for something like that. In return, Seattle traded Prelander Barroa and Zach Deloach. Um, and of those two, uh, Barroa is probably the more interesting name. He's not currently expected to be part of the opening day rotation in Chicago. Um, and... You know, if you've been following some of what Nick's been talking about in his top 400 list article, as well as some of the, even the conversation during PitchCon, um, Barrow is actually ranked 105 right now. And that's kind of based on the hope that he will be a starter. Um, he was used as a reliever pretty much in the minors the last year, as well as um, was participating in a couple games for Seattle last year as a reliever. Uh, but you know, some people believe that he has the stuff to be a starter. He has the the endurance to do it, and so you know, maybe he's an interesting add to um, your your watch list. Uh, Chicago doesn't exactly have the scariest rotation. Uh, Chris Flexen is slotted as their number five starter. Michael Soroka is the number four starter, and we all know about his injury history and how uh, basically inconsistent that could be. So, uh, Prelander Barrow, definitely an interesting name to follow. Uh, if you're looking for someone, let's just say, in a month or two, 
uh, need an injury replacement, he might be available um, as a starter. Uh, staying in the AL Central, Carlos Santana signed with the Twins on a one-year deal. Um, he basically just fills their right-handed bat spot um, as part of their first base and DH platoon. Um, it's a team heavy with left-handed bats, um, and so just having another option as a right-handed bat is probably just what the Twins are looking for. He had 23 homers last season. Um, he'll probably have a similar number of at-bats this year, knowing how the Twins like to cycle through that DH spot. So um, just you know, see if, if that's something that makes sense for your team in, in a deep league or an AL-only league. Uh, Jacob Junis signed with the Brewers, currently slots as the SB3 in that rotation. Um, not much to speak about there. Obviously, the rotation is severely depleted after losing Corbin Burns. Uh, Freddy Peralta is still there, though, but um, I think our roster resource, D.L. Hall, is currently slotted in as the SP5. Um, and so uh, they just needed some depth. Jacob Junis provides that. Another pitcher, Clayton Kershaw, uh, officially signed with the Dodgers, pretty much ending any speculation of possible retirement for him. He did say he was coming back, so that was pretty uh, pretty much a non-starter, but, you know, could always think about it with how um, how Kershaw has been the last couple of years dealing with injuries, but also, you know, ending any speculation of him going to another team, specifically the Texas Rangers. Uh, he'll continue to rehab his shoulder, which underwent surgery after the season ended last year. Um, he's expected to return sometime in the midsummer, So still some time for Kirsch to join that uh, rotation, but it looks like he uh, will be part of, you know, the future plans for the Dodgers, at least for the next year. And then finally, yes, Monty Grandal signed with the Pirates on a one-year deal, giving them some depth at the catcher position. Uh, First-round draft pick in 2021, Henry Davis, uh, who actually is only outfield eligible on most sites, was probably going to be the opening day starter before Grandal was signed. Uh, but the, if the Pirates aren't confident in his defense behind the plate, Grandal would you know easily slot in there at catcher. Obviously, he's not the catcher that he was three, four years ago when you know he was kind of in that top three catcher uh, ranking. Um, last year he had an OPS, or, sorry, last year he had a WRC plus of 80, so um, clearly not, you know, the, the uber-talented uh, catcher that he used to be, but he still could provide some interesting help um, in two catcher leagues uh, if you're looking for um, a guy who will start, you know, most days, let's just say you know, 70% of the starts. Uh, it, it, it would not be surprising if he did that if the Pirates have any doubt on Henry Davis. Now, because pitchers and catchers reported this week, we are getting a bunch of news out of training camp, uh, which most of it is bad because if it's news out of training camp, usually it means someone was injured. Um, so some of the news that's come out in the past couple of days, it sounds like Yuri Perez is going to be on an innings limit this season, according to Marlins manager Skip Schumacher. Um he threw 128 last year before going on IL. Um, you know, presumably that maybe it would allow him to get to 150, 160. Um, of course, he's expected to be on the opening day roster, and so we'll see how long the Marlins let him pitch the season. But that that is tough to hear for uh, people who are hoping to pick up Yuri. Obviously, those innings are probably going to be really good innings, but it sucks that he's not going to you know make it up to 180 or 190 innings. Um, another. Maybe important news, uh, Kyle Bradish of the Orioles, who had a little bit of a breakout season last year, um, and you know, a lot of people were hyped out about hyped about him. Uh, turns out he has a tear in his UCL, which you never love to hear. That being said, though, um, the Orioles are expected to have him pitch through it, which sounds really scary to me, but 
it sounds like maybe it's a, a sprain. It's not the worst deal. Um, it sounds like he's able to pitch through it. So, um, yeah, it, it definitely hurts his uh, draft stock this season if, if you can't guarantee that he's going to pitch the entire year with a UCL tear. Um, it's unsure how it's going to affect you know his mechanics and stuff like that, but obviously pitching in pain is never a good thing. So um, we'll see what happens with Radish. But what does that mean? That kind of means that uh, Tyler Wells, Cole Irvin, um, some of those guys, might have a better opportunity to be the number five starter. Um, Tyler Wells obviously had a really nice run last season, but then really just fell out of the rotation there, uh, sent to sent to AAA, um, and kind of just was never anything after that. Um, he could be an intriguing option in terms of people from uh, the minors. There's Kate Povich, um, who had a good season last year in the minors. Um, he might have a shot to push for that final spot um so yeah we'll we'll see how that that goes with the orioles uh rotation but obviously it's now a good thing that they were able to trade for corbin burns seeing as tyler wells uh or seeing as kyle bradish will you know be, be starting the season on il um in more orioles pitcher news i guess uh it, it's been a tough tough couple of days for them but um john means is um, also just dealing with a little bit of stuff um, he's a month behind because he has an elbow injury. Uh, and so, yeah, he, he didn't pitch for a good chunk of uh, last season because of Tommy John um, and then ended up not pitching in the playoffs at all for the Orioles. And so, the, you know, obviously a lot of hope was that he would, after, you know, full offseason rehabbing for Tommy John, he'd be able to go, you know, go again this this season. But it sounds like this elbow injury is affecting um, his ability to, you know, be able to start immediately in spring training, but you know, it, 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 it there might be a shot that he makes um, the opening day roster, and it's not on the IL. But um, seeing that he's a month behind it is definitely not a good thing. Um, beyond that, some other there's there's not a ton of other news. Uh, I guess the big news was Corey Kluber officially retired last season. Uh, shout out to Kluber. Obviously, as a Twins fan, he was a uh, thorn in our side for a couple of years, but um, yeah, he officially retired last week. Um, and looks like the Yankees are bringing him in as a special advisor. Uh, it would have been fun if he joined a, a different um, AL East team to kind of wrap up that that uh, trip through the AL East that he was doing. And then um, Rob Manfred officially announced that he would be uh, stepping down as commissioner at the end of this term, which would end after the 2028 season. So we've got another few years of Rob Manfred, um, unfortunately. Well, that wraps up the news and the transactions and the injury report, unfortunately, for the first time this uh, this offseason. Um, obviously, we'll be bringing you even more information as training camp ramps up. Um, definitely going to need to be doing a bit more recaps as we start moving into the every week schedule um but uh, for now it's exciting that training camp has started that spring training is underway uh and that we even are able to get some gifs uh and some videos of um people tracking pitches and uh pitchers throwing bullpens stuff like that so yeah it definitely feels like um, baseball season is in full swing now
All right. Joining the pod now is PitcherList Director of Data Analytics and Research, Kyle Bland. If you've been following PitcherList at all in the past year, you've definitely seen Kyle's work, whether that's just like tweeted out on Twitter or just the bajillion articles that we've been basically publishing the last few the last year really on PLV and, and um, stuff like that. But yeah, he's been integral in developing PLV, creating graphics for hitters and pitchers based on those metrics and continuing to innovate and provide new ways for us to understand baseball even better. So with all that being said, welcome to the show, Kyle. Hey, thanks for having me on. Happy to be here. Yeah. So obviously the new thing that you that's been introduced and you kind of mentioned this at at PitchCon is PLV mistake rate. Uh, but before we get into the nitty gritty and, you know, really digging into the data, I just want to ask, you know, how did you get interested in fantasy baseball and maybe ultimately, you know, data and baseball and how those two things work together? Yeah, so I'll start with kind of the data side. I've always leaned on that, like more analytical bent of how I think about things. So it's I've always kind of more or less been a numbers guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's kind of always stuck with me. But then how I got into uh baseball and fantasy baseball ironically is i so i'm a avid hockey player and a couple guys on my team had a fantasy baseball league that they played in and they invited me in one year and i i did okay i think it's it's a keeper league actually it's i think it's 10th season is coming up so that's cool but uh i think i finished sixth so middle of the pack but i am pretty competitive and so i was like okay how can i like start to apply my like how could i be better what like how can I work on my process and then that kind of just became like okay like let's take a look at rankings okay let's take a look at you know different stats and what's more important and you know luckily for me I played in a an OBP and quality start league so like that was a little bit more (laughs) a little more advanced you know than like your standard five by five so I got to like get some low-hanging fruit as far as understanding guys with good walk rates or like your three true outcome guys versus mm-hmm. your, and then quality start guys, you know, it's projecting more for workload rather than like, you know, if he's elite for five innings, I don't really care. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, hockey got me into baseball and then baseball got me into, you know, applying myself to it and starting to having more questions and then trying to answer those questions with numbers and like, a good positive feedback loop until like here we are today with mistake rate and all the other cool stats we're putting out. Yeah. Well, that's awesome to hear. I guess sidebar because I'm a Minnesotan. So hockey's kind of just in my genetics, even though I don't play it. Um, you got a favorite team? Oh yeah. I'm a big uh, Colorado avalanche fan. Uh, okay. I have been since they, they moved from Quebec. Yeah. Uh, so Super stoked that they won the cup a couple seasons ago. My wife's a Golden Knights fan, so they had theirs last year. So we're a house of champions right now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, enjoy the uh, the husk of Zach Parise on your team, I guess. I know. We're dragging him around so far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, back to the baseball talk. So, again, we're talking about PLV mistake rate. Um, so let's just get off, start off the bat. Why is this an important metric that, you know, fantasy managers or just baseball fans should be paying attention to. Yeah. So this is kind of a, a family of stats that I really like. And that's baseball has like a great vernacular. It has a great, like just amount, like a variety of words that use that you use to describe something. And it's very intuitive and you know, immediately what someone's talking about, like, mm-hmm. Oh, that pitch was a mistake. 
that like you see with your eyes and you're like, oh, you knew he hung that curveball or, you know, that fastball wasn't quite high enough, like that kind of thing. And so I got to talking with Nick about, well, how would we go about looking at that? What's a way that we would consider like, oh, how would we say like, oh, that guy threw a mistake and here's why. And so I I was really excited about this because like I love kind of trying to quantify those more nebulous topics or like the the ideas and just to bring like at least some form to it. Like I'm not saying that this is the only way to think of a mistake, but it it is something that is like, okay, you know, there's some background to it. And especially since this one is, is backed by PLV, there's a lot of, you know, complicated formulas and algorithms going on in the background, but at the same, but at the end of the day, we you, we really appreciated the idea of like, okay, it's a bad pitch in the zone. And it's like, I, I think I talked about it at my pitch con presentation, but it was uh, how I, my mom played softball growing up and then kind of faded away from it, but is somewhat familiar still with like baseball and softball terms. And so I, I she's a great like bellwether for me of like, if I can explain this to my mom, Mm-hmm. then I'm like, okay, I've got a good grasp on it. And like, I, it, it'll have some legs that it's not super technical or in the weeds. Um, and that's like, that's kind of like the philosophical idea behind it. And we looked at a bunch of different things as far as, okay, how do we define a mistake? Cause that's really what it comes down to. And we looked at things of like, you know, what's a call a CSW in the zone or what's mm-hmm. likely to be like, you know, what has a higher barrel rate or they're, Woba on contact and this, that, and the other thing. And then it, you know, it kind of dawned on me that it's just like, well, we already have this PLV metric that we've used for all of this variety of things and ways that we can go with it. And we have what we literally describe as bad pitch. And this is yeah. something that Nick and I came up with kind of for the release last year. And so I was like, well, I asked Nick, I'm like, okay, how, how many pitches across the league would you think are, are mistakes? And he said, I think he said like 10%. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did, we did bad pitches. We did the, basically the formula is right now, which is a bad pitch in the zone. And it came out to about eight and a half percent. And I was like, okay, per- I think, perfect. I think this thing's got some legs. And we went and we took a look at it. Yeah. And it's great. And it checks out that what, the, what uh, these pitches are, are they're pitches that tend to be kind of towards the middle of the zone, heart of the zone. And they're likelier to be hits. And it's not just like hit into play. Like it's not your kind of pitch to contact guys that these are ones that are likely to be like actually like productive hits for the Mm -hmm. hitter kind of thing. So they're definitely things you want to avoid. Um, And one of the ways I like to kind of interpret the mistake rate is it's a good proxy for like how hittable a pitcher is or unhittable. And so like the guys who rate very well by mistake rate kind of fall into two buckets and I call it a good unhittable and a bad unhittable. <laughs> and so the good ones are your guys like Spencer Strider of like, yeah, he's just, if he throws a middle, middle fastball, it's going to blow right by you. Or if he kind of hangs a slider, like, yeah, it's just going to break away from you and you're screwed anyway. Mm-hmm. But then you also have like bad unhittable guys. And those are your guys like your Edward Cabrera's, your Michael Kopecks of like, they're, unhittable because there are no pitches to hit like, yeah. everything's a ball it's not in the zone and so like those guys also technically don't throw mistakes but it's just uh-huh. because they never even approach the middle of the zone and then kind of the, the leader and the poster child of mistake great blake snell is kind of interesting because he kind of lives in both of those worlds at once of he's mm-hmm. got killer stuff but he also just 
doesn't throw in the zone ever. He nibbles at the edge with killer stuff. And so like both of those factors combined make him really, really good at avoiding throwing hittable pitches down the middle. Yeah. I, I remember the PLV presentation last year at PitchCon and just this understanding of like, yeah, how do we find good pitch and bad pitch? And like, we all know, right? Like a, a like you said, a hanging curveball or a, like a fastball down the middle. Like those are generally going to result in worse outcomes for for a pitcher. But um, even this little nuance of like you know a good unhittable versus bad unhittable, you know that's that's really interesting to think about. Um, just like like you mentioned, it's not just pitch to contact guys; it's guys who um, might just make these mistakes that just go far out of the zone. And so it's not truly a mistake because it's, it's not something that could have been taken for like taken for a ride or something like that. So I think, I think that's interesting. Um, but you, you mentioned this a little bit. I think sometimes when we think about PLV, or at least when I think about PLV, it feels like a black box that we throw a bunch of, you know, metrics into and a bunch of stats into, and it comes out with this number. Right. And so we ultimately, like ultimately the de- definition of a bad pitch, I think is like a PLV lower than 4.5. Right. Um, and I think you were touching on this, like these are pitches that generally have worse outcomes. You know, when you were looking at this, like what, what type of, um, things were you, things helped you define that like a bad pitch is less than four, four point five. 4.5. Yeah. So kind of our, our POV scale, if, you know, for those aren't familiar is Mm -hmm. we center it around five and it roughly goes from zero to 10. And that's based on you know, we, um, based on the characteristics of the pitch. So the count that it's in the handedness of the pitcher and the batter, and then like the velo movement location, um, all that good stuff, those get folded in and we, and it, the model functionally spits out a, an estimate of all of the outcomes. So it's this likely to be a ball. It's this likely to be a swinging strike. It's this likely to be a single. It's this likely to be an out in play, Um, and so we do that across all pitches and what's interesting about that is then we can, we can weigh things differently and, um, what comes into a bad pitch. And so specifically for for four and a half is I like to think of it as those are the pitches that aren't around the edges of the zone. So those are going to be kind of like what we alluded to with mistake rate of those pitches that are in the heart of the zone that get hung. Mm-hmm. And those are going to be pitches that have a likelier to be hit, likelier to be hit for extra bases. But then there are also uh, bad pitches that are out of the zone. And those are the ones that are going to be like uncompetitive balls of like, yeah, that's three inches out of the zone. Like unless it's Javier Baez, you're not swinging at it. <laughs> that Yeah. That is just like a, a, a given that, okay. Yeah. Like that was a bad pitch, but like, you know, and, and that's the thing too. So a bad pitch roughly over kind of the time frame that we have POV means over a hundred pitches, you're expected to give up about one run more than league average. Okay. So on your so yeah so that's basically kind of the idea to think about it is every half of a tick on plv is about one run per 100 pitches Mm -hmm. so that one is you know kind of a quick easy intuitive way to do it that that can be because you're throwing balls and that gets you to walks which are guys on base and that allows more runs or you know like we're doing here with mistake rate of that's hits uh, balls in play likelier to be you know extra bases that kind of thing um, and so specifically for bad pitches, 
you know, like like I mentioned, there are the two two versions. You have your out of zone, which are easy; those are balls. Mm-hmm. But then the in zone is a little bit more nuanced because, you know, like we talked about before, you have your pitch to contact guys, and those aren't necessarily going to be bad. Like if you dot the corner of the zone and a guy hits it, well, that's actually probably going to be an out more often than not. Mm-hmm. Right. But but for and the the model kind of knows that based on you know the movement characteristics, your velo, and then specific a, a lot of times the location. You know, if it's if it's down and away, you're not going to be able to really do a lot of damage with that pitch, especially if it's you know like a wipeout slider, or you know maybe you get jammed up and in with like a 98 mile an hour fastball. That those are going to be you know more often than not weak contact, either a pop up or a grounder up away. That like those are going to be outs, and those will be you know good pitches for the pitcher actually. But so bad pitches in the zone are more specifically yeah. They're going to be hits. They're going to be dangerous contact. I'm not saying that it's guaranteed to be, you know, a, a hit, but it is going to be, you know, more often than average, you know, it's a, a higher BABIP kind of contact. Right. Yeah. I, I really like that context that it's like over a hundred pitches. It's, it's approximately like one additional run. Yeah. So like per start, you know, I know guys right. aren't going a hundred pitches at a time really anymore, but like, mm-hmm. that's kind of how I think about it too, is like, yeah, per start. So like, I don't know off the top of my head, that'll be like one and a half ERA. Yeah. For, for, yeah. For yeah, nine innings. innings or something. Yeah. Yeah. Nine yeah. Innings too. yeah. Yeah. That's, that's super interesting. I, I think that's, that's really helpful to understand. Like, yeah. Th- and obviously like mistake rate is a, is a pitch by pitch sort of thing, but when mm-hmm. you average everything out, like that's, that's really interesting to, to think about. Um, okay, cool. Well, getting into now the nitty gritty, the math stuff, the graphs <laughs> and, you know, start throwing around things like R squared that some people were like, I don't know what this is talking about and Chromebacks alpha and whatnot. Try to dumb it down a little bit for, yeah. uh, for people. So the two things you looked at stability and stickiness. Um, mm-hmm. So stability is, you know, kind of how quickly can you trust this metric um, in, you know, in a season, right? How long does it take? And then stickiness year by year. Like if we have this number for this picture last year, how much can we trust it for, this upcoming year, right? As we're digging into drafts, that's obviously something that managers care about. Yeah. What did you see in the analysis um, in terms of those two things, stability and stickiness of mistake rate? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I go into any time I have an idea for a stat, I'm pretty, I go into it pretty skeptical that I'm going into it, not thinking, you know, I don't really have anything. I'm happy to be pleasantly surprised. Mm-hmm. And so for, for mistake rate, yeah, for both of these uh categories of like me doing my analysis of like what do i think is like a useful stat yeah the stickiness and stability that both of these turned out fairly well and especially um because regarding stickiness or sorry we'll start with stability regarding stability that uh pitch location is actually pretty noisy that you would think that a guy's ability to to locate his pitches is pretty consistent and i mean for something like in zone and out of zone, sure. Like a guy's zone rate can be fairly stable, mm-hmm. but as far as like the value of where a guy throws, that's very noisy. Unless you're someone like George Kirby, who can just you know dot the strike zone everywhere whenever he wants with all of his pitches. You know, guys miss. I think I you know I've seen that like the average miss for a pitcher is like six to eight inches or something like that. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. a. I mean, when the strike zone's twenty inches wide, that's a big chunk. Right. And so that can be pretty noisy. And I, I know uh, Eno Saris, when he put out on fan graphs, they have their primers on stuff plus location plus pitching plus. And 
specifically for location and pitching, they said that it, it starts to stabilize at about 400 pitches. So that's about um, 25, 26 innings pitched. And that lines up actually, I did my my um, formula, my process with this, and it came out to about 360 pitches. So yeah, almost 400. And that's roughly, on average, pitchers threw about 16.6 pitches per inning. So that's about 22 innings. So roughly four to five starts is kind of how I measured that. And what the stability, what the stability metric is at its core is it's basically saying, okay, after this threshold, the observed results are going to be fairly close to the rest of the season. So basically, after 360 pitches, you have a good idea of what this pitcher's season-long average will be, that it'll be fairly close to this. It's not going to be one-to-one. It's not saying, all right, this is exactly it, but that you have a a fairly good estimate of, okay, it's going to be close to this. Like he's, this is kind of his ability. You know, it might wax and wane, ebb and flow a little bit, but he's roughly going to be there. So Mm -hmm. that was pretty positive for me. Um, Just to see it like, yeah, after a month, you know, after that, the first month of the season, you'll have an idea of like, okay, this guy is allowing a lot of mistakes or, you know, this guy is really avoiding those mistakes. He's avoiding that, that damaging contact in the the heart of the zone. So that was really cool to me. And then um, kind of folding in nicely with that is, yeah, uh, that it also was pretty stable year to year. Um, R squared of 0.65, which is in the, you know, all the charts and all that kind of stuff. But, but basically that means that from one year to the next, um, that one year's value explains about 65% of the next year's value. And there, and that's great that that's very stable. Um, and that can mean, you know, guys can get better, guys can get worse. A lot of guys will stay the same, but that's, that's pretty solid. That lines up, um, I did some work with Alex Fast for um, some general stability metrics, and that came out to about like a guy's ground ball to fly ball rate for pitchers. So if you have an idea of like how stable that is, that, you know, you have your ground ball pitchers, fly ball pitchers, and those are Mm -hmm. generally stable across across years, across careers. And so that's kind of what I found this to be too. And that's, I mean, that's not to say that everyone's going to be like that, especially something like this. If a guy makes a pitch mix change or something I really want to look into is guys who change teams Mm because you hear a lot about um, strategies from the team level of where they like their guys to locate specific pitch types. Uh, Nick and a couple of us were talking about just how different teams locate. I've found that the Rays tend to locate their four-seam fastballs lower in the zone, so they might be someone who ironically have a higher mistake rate just because they're yeah. throwing more pitches there. But, yeah, that, that's something that these are all kind of factors that go into that that other 35%, that other mix of, you know, the, the variance that, that you will. And, and so it's nice that it is pretty internally consistent across seasons and within a season too. That's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. I'm just curious, like, you know, stability and stickiness generally, I think when we look at stats like this, they're kind of two separate things that we look at. But does kind of the stat being more sticky from year to year 
help the stability in like making that a shorter time frame, or is that something like that's the other thirty five percent that like we we learn and and that's how that that that's why it takes a little bit of time for that to be stable. Um, not necessarily because there are a lot of things uh, that go into it as far as talent changes can happen. So, like I was saying, guys can make changes. So if it if it's something that's more inherent to a guy like fat, like velo, so like mm-hmm. stuff is very stabilizes very quickly because basically a guy's velo is what his velo is. But right. you'll see kind of year to year that it, that it can change or like things you know something like an injury can really affect that. And so if it can, if it's prone to kind of large changes, then it'll be maybe a little bit less stable mm-hmm. year to year. Um, and so it's like, you're right that they kind of fold into each other nicely of if it's consistent year to year, it'll probably stabilize fairly quickly, but there are times where, you know, one's true and the other's not. Mm-hmm. Sure. All right. Well, so this is probably the part where managers are wondering, great, I know mistake rate, but that's not a, uh, a metric in my 5x5 five five format. Uh, what does this tell me about ERA? What does this tell me about WHIP? You know, how does this affect, affect you know, the batted ball metrics, which is kind of the main thing that we you know, look, like in t- look at in terms of pitcher results. So how, how did you kind of correlate you know, mistake rate to some of these other things that are more, I guess, visible or, you know, things like batted ball metrics or things like that. Yeah. One of the things, I mean, it's, it's kind of circular reasoning because we're basing it off of a metric that says, Oh, it's likely to be a a ball, a ball in play and a hit. Yeah. But it was just like, okay, how, how much does this relate to yeah. Allowing balls in play and specifically how often does it relate to allowing hits? And so I, uh, in the article, I um, post those charts and you can kind of see, I, I compared it to zone, mm-hmm. your zone percentage, because that's more or less a proxy of what we're doing is we're folding in a little bit more nuance into that zone rate. And so zone rates, I mean, it's super noisy as far as batted ball and hit percent that they're, and sorry, these are per pitch, not just like per plate appearance or per anything else mm-hmm. just because so that they're on kind of that same thing because mistake rates per pitch so right. just keeping everything on the same playing field but um yeah zone rate was super noisy almost no relationship so whether you throw in the zone or not you can't really make an educated guess on how many hits you'll allow mm-hmm. and um well what this uh allowed was for batted balls the r squared was uh, 0.3 better so that that's a pretty significant increase in how related those metrics are. So mistake rate to your batted ball rate, your mm-hmm. the amount of pitches that become batted balls for a pitcher. And so that was really cool to see just like, okay, this is kind of a, a useful tool at the very start. And again, this has no context of who the hitter is, uh, what the defense is behind you, what park you're in. This is literally just saying, based on this pitch, we think you'll allow a hit or a batted ball here. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, yeah, to go even kind of a step deeper, I looked at the the hit percentage hits per pitch. And yeah, that showed also a a very uh, large, at least to me, I know R squared of 0.28 isn't that impressive. But again, if you can tell me you have a fairly educated guess on how many hits a guy will allow just based on the pitches he throws, 
Um, that's that's pretty cool. There's a lot of randomness, batted ball luck in hit percent in uh, hits. So, like to be able to kind of cut through that a, a little bit, and especially for something that's like we mentioned earlier, very stable. That stabilizes a lot quicker. So you can have an idea of how hittable a guy is versus something like his actual hit rate will take mm-hmm. maybe a whole season to stabilize versus this can be done in four to five starts to get an educated view on it. And so for fantasy managers, cause yeah, that's what we're here for. Yeah. That this is going to be a great, like we know that walk rate is pretty, pretty stable and stabilizes pretty quickly. So if you can fold in something like, okay, well here's his mistake rate. And he's got, you know, above like a, a um, worse than average mistake rate and he's got a high walk rate that's a terrible combination this guy's gonna tank your whip right versus something like uh you know the the blake snow of last season of he's well he's got an elite mistake rate mm-hmm. but he's got a high walk rate but i that i i think he can still walk that tightrope of maybe he'll have a lower whip that like okay well yeah he's gonna get his walks in mm-hmm. but he doesn't he's probably not gonna allow as many hits as you'd think so this can kind of help you see those guys who may seem more wild based on their walk rates that, okay, well, there's maybe a method to their madness. And right. then, um, yeah. And then of course, if you get uh, vice versa, if you have a guy with a low mistake rate, but then, uh, sorry, a, a below average mistake rate, but with a low walk rate, like, okay, that's, that's your pitch to contact guys. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, they're, you know, it's not going to be a great whip, but like, it'll be, you know, probably worse than you'd expect just based on their walks. And then, um, yeah, so it's a great, it's a kind of a, a great proxy for the hits. Cause I know that hits are very noisy stats. So now you kind of have a better educated guess as something that you can use in season in a shorter amount of time to be like, okay, do I trust, like, is this whip representative of who this pitcher is? Yes or no. Mm-hmm. And then another interesting way that I'm kind of delving into now, and that's probably going to be more in season analysis for me is how this affects hitters. As far as like, do you want to like for daily fantasy, like stacking against high mistake rate pitchers yeah. or you know, I mean, even just daily lineup changes or for weekly of like, okay, this team or this, you know, this lineup of starters that they're going to be facing. Okay. They're pretty high mistake rates. So they'll, you know, especially for your, your average leagues that like, okay, these are, these are the guys I want that, that I want to target these guys or, you know, vice versa. Maybe I want to avoid like, especially like a Blake Snell, because if you're in an average league, he's not allowing hits and he's allowing walks and like neither of those are going to help your average category. Mm-hmm. So maybe it gives you a little bit more nuance in making educated guesses or like if you're between, you know, okay, I got this guy on my bench. Do I start him over this guy that this can give you a little bit more of an idea of, okay, well, how hittable is this pitcher? And then how much does that benefit kind of the the hitters that I have available to me? Right. Yeah. I, I'm even thinking on like the pitching side, if you're trying to pick between, you know, a couple streamers and, you know, usually you're not picking a streamer to necessarily like, you know, really dramatically decrease your whip, but you'll take it if you can. Um, yeah. And so just even thinking like you're picking between two guys who have, you know, very similar matchups, but one guy just is more hittable because he makes more mistakes. I think that gives you a little bit of an edge to, you know, just make that decision a little bit easier for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like that I like that you compare between both bad at ball and, and hit percent because I think yeah with hits like 
it is more context dependent about like the defense behind you or the team that you're facing or, you know, even the park that you're playing in. Um, and so I, 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 I do like that, that batted ball, like just understanding, like this is like how many times that at least the batter is able to get, you know, some wood on the, wood on the ball is, is just helpful to, to understand in that context. Yeah. And that's why I was, I made sure to include kind of that comparison to, to zone is, because, you know, on its own, it seems like, okay, there's like a loose relationship here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's so many variables that go into what makes a hit that it's it's nice to know like, oh, even if you know a pitch is in, how often a pitch is in the zone, there's like no relationship. Like it's right. random yeah. versus like this is like, okay, you have a better idea. And it's like when you know the background, like you're saying of like the defense, the park, like all that, the hitter, that kind of stuff that is like, okay, like it's going to be, I mean, it's basically impossible to get a high relationship for anything to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. So we've, I mean, we've alluded to a little bit uh, in terms of just like leaderboards and that's the stuff we love to look at. It's like, who's good at this? Who's bad at this? Um, and, you know, the poster board you mentioned, Blake Snell, uh, mistake rate of 3.2%, which is a full point lower than the the next highest pitcher in Yuri Perez. Um but just kind of looking at, at at this leaderboard that you were able to put together, um, were there a couple guys that stood out to you that you know you felt a little bit better about them coming into this draft season after looking at their mistake rate? Obviously, it's not you know like a tell all sort of stat, but it, it is helpful to give some context. Yeah, um, I mean, one of the guys I feel like he's like my guy for the off season. If you've seen. I have my POV projections out and he ranks a lot higher than you might expect, but is uh Bailey Ober. Yeah. That, I saw that, that name. Yep. Yeah. That he's um top twelve pitcher by mistake rate, you know, uh for fifteen hundred pitches at least. Mm-hmm. So he had a, a five and a half percent, which was tied with Zach Wheeler. That yeah, he just does a great job of kind of avoiding the heart of the plate. And I think, you know, it's he's uh, maybe not a lot of people will think of him, but it's like, well, he's got, he's got, a, I think he has a killer changeup. He's mm-hmm. got a great um, role. I mean, he, like he's a locked in starter. He pitched a pretty decent starters workload last year. Hopefully he can replicate it. Yeah. Minnesota's a good um, team. Like they've got a solid defense behind him. And they're also like a pretty smart team as far as pitcher development goes. They, they seem to know what they're doing. So He's definitely been one of those guys that kind of just keeps appearing at the top of a lot of the the leaderboards I'm looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another guy I like is kind of a dart throw is JP France. Mm-hmm. That I think I think he's got really, I think he's got really good stuff. And for how often he pounds the zone, he was you know 48 percent, which was pretty pretty solidly above league average. To only have a um, 5.3% mistake rate is, is pretty solid. So he's doing a good job of, you know, not putting his pitches in place that'll hurt him. I think, you know, the it's it's going to be more of reigning in the control a little bit. Um, and then just does he have kind of the strikeout rate that I think this is like a, okay, he should have a pretty solid floor, but he, you know, he's, he's really got to bump up that strikeout rate. And if that gets up, and I, I think he can, that that could be someone that can really, gain a lot of value for you at the end of your drafts yeah i I think moving back to over i i think i saw the twitter interaction like either yesterday or the day before i think like lucas seahafer who's oh yeah who's a writer now with pitcherless but he's he's done a lot of twins related stuff with uh twins daily and other other sites was mentioning like 
You know, the twin solution to figuring out Sonny Gray leaving is just, oh yeah, Bailey Over's already good enough to do that. Yeah. Uh, just yeah. replace him with Bailey Over and, yep. you know, yeah, big, uh, big, big twins fan as yeah. far as how I, how I view their starting pitchers this year. Sounds good. All right, we'll, we'll take that. Um, yeah. So then on the flip side, then are, are there any pitchers that you were kind of a little bit more down on after looking at their mistake rate? Um, two that kind of stick out and it's, so one is Justin Steele. And I know he was, you know, the, the darling of last year. Yeah, the weird, like Cy Young dark horse candidate. <laughs> yeah. Like from, from nothing. Yep. And like, I, like I, it, it's like a great story. And I mean, I don't think he's, I don't think he's chopped liver, but I think that this allows, like I have him as, you know, still a top 30 starting pitcher in our projections, but that it is just like this Maybe he may have more of a tightrope to walk than a lot of other pitchers. And I think a lot of this too will be because he's, he, he just doesn't have killer stuff. And you'll see that a lot about the guys down the leaderboard is like, yeah, if you can throw gas or get you know 20 inch mat brash movement on your slider mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter that much if it's in the heart of the plate or not but like for some of these guys who are like averaging 91 92 on their fastball or have a little bit tighter of a, a curve or slider than you'd hope that they just don't have kind of that margin for error that 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 nastier stuff will get you and steals kind of one of those guys it's not to say that i don't think he can do it but it's just that like i'm a little hesitant to to fully buy into last season. I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only person that's right. not fully bought into <laughs> yes, Cy Young candidate Justin Steele, but that it is like he, he does a good job of limiting walks. He's he's decent at, at strikeout rate, but that you know he might get hit around every once in a while. Yeah. Um, luckily, he does have a really good defense behind him. That that Swansby, a uh, Dansby Swanson Nico Horner combo up the middle is is pretty legit. And if they get, you know, Pete Crow Armstrong in center field, that's going to be another just guy hoovering up balls in play. So, you know, it, that's, that might be something too. Of like, it might not be the worst idea if you know, you've got a killer defense behind you that, mm-hmm. yeah, you can maybe get away with allowing one or two extra balls in play um, him. And then another guy that I'm actually really high on, but he it's, it helps explain a little bit of my skepticism is Zach Eflin. I think Zach Eflin's great, but I think a lot of that is ironically it's, it's George Kirby, but without 95 mile an hour, 98 mile an hour gas on the fastball Hmm. of like both of those guys live in the zone and never walk anybody. And that's, yeah, that's going to allow more mistakes. But with Eflin, I don't, I just don't think he has, he doesn't have that extra gear that I think Kirby has. And so it might just be, you know, he's not going to get hurt as much by it. Cause he's not giving out free passes that um, he's got, again, he also has a decent strikeout rate, but that, that he's a guy that, you know, depending on the start, he might string some hits together, allow a couple runs. Um, but for the most part too, he's going to be really relying on the batted ball luck to help him out that he's not going to, you know, there aren't going to be a lot of free guys on base and he's not a big Homer guy either. So it's not like you'll get a lot of those base clearing hits. But, you know, he might be rough on your whip every once in a while just Mm -hmm. because he had one of those games. Right. Yeah. Uh, One name that I kind of want to talk about who, you know, a little bit more mixed in terms of fantasy circles on like 
what to think about him is Dylan Cease. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's got an incredible mistake rate, 5.3%, which um, I think is, well, according to the, his player page, it's good for eighth. I think once you factor in relievers, it's, um, I think he's 10th on the list in, in yeah. the leaderboard. Um, obviously, incredible strikeout rate, really terrible command, walks all, all, all over the place. With with that understanding of like mistake rate and with his you know his whip and his strikeouts where, where they are, like what's if if you were just kind of under understand like is is Dylan C someone who I want to pursue you know what would you be looking at in terms of mistake rate here? Yeah, so I mean he's one of those guys that flirts that line between good and bad, unhittable. Yeah, um, okay. the, yeah, the, he's got a forty percent zone rate, which is pretty low and like one of the things too is like he's not missing by an inch or two that he's if he's missing everyone knows it that it's not you know he'll sneak a couple swings you know a couple guys flailing away at his his wicked slider every once in a while but like a lot of times he's a good three or four inches out of the zone and so it's like he's not just out of zone but it's bad out of zone yeah um and so that's tough so he's gonna be you know that He's like Blake's, he's a poor man's Blake Snell. And I'm, you know, probably not the first person to describe him that way. But like, I think that's one of the problems is Blake Snell really does just thread that needle as far as he just is so committed to not throwing in the zone like at all Mm -hmm. and has the stuff that could, but also doesn't miss that far outside of the zone that it can work for him versus I think cease is kind of a notch below that on both levels of his misses are a little bit bigger and his stuff isn't like i don't know that he quite has the repertoire that snell does to be able to you know get some swings from those out of zone pitches so i mean he's he's not nothing i mean i have him for 200 strikeouts for in our projections like that's 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 a that's a useful pitcher and you know the white Sox aren't a great team so you know, the win context will be rough and I have him for a 128 ERA or sorry, 128 whip, which is, you know, pretty rough. Um, but it is just better than last year (laughs) is, yeah, it's better than last year, but, and like, you know, a a low, low fours ERA. So he's the kind of guy that if you're like, you could, you could talk me into, if you have some like real rock solid guys at the top, like if you drafted like a Logan Webb, like, I think he would be a great pairing with a Logan Webb as far as like, okay, I got, I got my innings. I got, you know, good solid ratios that I can really bank on. Like, okay, Dylan Cease is now kind of a guy that will help me capitalize on those strengths and weaknesses that mm-hmm. I think he'll get you great strikeouts. You know, he might, he'll allow his walks and those will lead to those real blow up starts. But like at the same time, he's also like, not the most hittable. So he might, you know, he's high variance and low variance at the same time. So it's sure. kind of, it's kind of an interesting thing. Um, but yeah, I think, I think he's a guy that the mistake rate means he's not quite as bad as that walk rate makes you think he will be mm-hmm. that he's definitely someone that if you have a plan for it, that he can really help your team. He can kind of paper over maybe some of those weaknesses. If you, if you drafted a more like, stable high floor rotation rather than like a Tyler glass now early kind of thing. Right. So I, I think what I'm hearing is like, you know, for, for pitchers in the vein of, you know, cease and, and yeah. Snell, like the, 
mistake rate gives context to the high whip. Yeah. In, in how it impacts ERA, essentially. Um, and maybe not how it necessarily impacts ERA, but it's like it gives you a little bit more understanding. Like, yes, he might walk a lot of guys, but it might not always result in poor outcomes for uh, when, when he does walk a bunch of people. Yeah. And something to keep in mind, too, with these like low mistake rate, but low zone guys is if you're in something like a league that rewards innings in any ways, like quality starts or just straight innings pitched, mm-hmm. that those lower zone rates are going to be less efficient. So they're going to throw more pitches. And so even if they have a lower mistake rate, they're going to have kind of more pitches per inning. Mm-hmm. And so like that mistake rate will actually kind of get bumped up a little bit. Sure. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of something to keep in mind since they're less efficient, more pitches and fewer innings. Those mistakes will be also across fewer innings. So yeah, kind of that whip will kind of bump up a little bit along with them. So it's not quite as obvious. And that's why I, um, on the, the leaderboard, like, of course, I, I started it by just raw mistake rate, but something that is, I think, useful context is mistakes per zone. Mm-hmm. So like, when you're throwing in the zone, how often are those mistakes? And so he actually gets kicked down the list quite a bit just because yeah. he throws in the zone so rarely versus a guy like Blake Snell is also number one with a bullet by mm-hmm. even that, that even though he never throws in the zone, he just throws so few mistakes that it doesn't even matter. Yeah. So that's, that's just something to keep in mind that it's, you know, these inefficient guys will have more opportunities for those hit for those mistakes. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Kyle, really appreciate you coming on the podcast, uh, talking about this uh, mistake rate and just how, um, yeah, the, even the nitty gritty stuff, but also how this helps managers. So uh, really appreciate it. Um, if people want to follow you on social media, um, you know, what's the handle? And then is there anything new that you've got coming out for PLV, for PL uh, in the next couple of weeks? Yeah, so my my handle pretty much everywhere is at Blandalytics. So like analytics, but with my last name Bland at the front of it. Um, yeah, I have a an article on strike minus ideal contact rate. That'll be coming out shortly. That's a really fun one that we're excited about that I talked about at PitchCon. Um, I have another kind of article in the works that is a more explainable decision value metrics. So we have our fancy hitter decision value that uses all of the PLV stats. And, you know, like we were talking about earlier, like there's a lot of complex formulas and interactions behind the scene, Mm -hmm. but I'm trying to take kind of the idea of like a zone minus out of zone swing rate and see like, okay, can we apply a little bit more thought and nuance to that to make like a holistic decision value that is, more useful. And so I have that works coming out and that should hopefully be out pretty shortly too. But yeah, we've got a lot of cool stuff, a lot of guys behind the scenes now that, especially now that we have all these stats on the site that, yeah, I am just excited. You know, here's the sandbox of PLV and all of our stats and now everyone can play with it. Yeah. Well, it's definitely been cool seeing PLV in this past year being used and, uh, yeah, definitely looking forward to even more more growth in, in that area in this new season. So, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks again, John. All right, and that wraps up our episode for today. Um, again, you can find us at This Week PL on Twitter or send us your comments and questions at thisweekplpod at gmail.com. 
You can find myself on Twitter at the John Co, and you can find Lee at Regicidal. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the Pitchless Podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Uh, if you've been tracking the feed, you'll notice that we've added a couple new shows. Uh, we've got The Craft, which is a podcast with uh, Nick Pollock and Eno Saris. Uh, we've got Fantasy Feud, which features Sarah Sanchez and Shelly Burgerstreet. And then we also have uh, Take Me Into the Ball Game with Elena Dare and Eric Guild. So, yeah, definitely check out um, all the new podcasts that are joining the feed, as well as all the other podcasts on the feed. We're definitely ramping up um, our episodes here with draft season well underway. So definitely check um, all the pods out uh, for just all the uh, all the good good information that you can get from PitcherList. Um, please, again, leave a five-star review if you enjoy the show or just enjoy any of the shows on the PitcherList Fantasy Baseball feed. Lastly, you can also sign up for PitcherList Plus. Uh, by doing so, you could join us at the PitcherList Discord, get advice from all the fantasy experts and writers over there. And if you join PitcherList Premium, you'll also get access to the PLB projections um, and just a lot of good database information there that can help you in your drafts. That's all for this week. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball. For Lee, I'm John, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, everyone. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.